Well, praise the Lord. Thank you. I got one over there. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is the day that the Lord has made. And we shall and be and be glad in it. It is a day that we're excited about to come together to worship our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ, just a quick comment, uh, show of hands of those of you who were at Evensong last night. Yeah, yeah, woo is good, yeah, yeah. And thank uh, all of you who have come to uh, lead us in our praise and worship and, and Zach for a wonderful message uh, last night. It was very powerful. My first, we're just getting started, amen. Uh, yeah, and so, but today, today, we have coming to share with us someone uh, whom I have befriended. He's befriended me. You know, you know you're, you're, you're growing into a good relationship as a friend when you get together and you have one of those gut-busting laughs, right? You just kind of let it all out. It's just all uncontrollable and laughing, right? And you feel comfortable around one another when you do that. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so this is who he is to me. When you come new to an environment, you're looking for someone to kind of connect with. And I've had the pleasure of connecting with many people. But each one brings a very unique kind of connection and relationship. And Dr. John Marco is no exception to that. Uh, yeah, many of you know he is endeared around campus. I hardly need to introduce him to you, right? Because you know who he is. And not just by a name, not just by the wonderful accolades and the long uh, CV that he might have, that he's well-earned, but just the person of Christ that he is. We get the pleasure and honor to hear our Lord speak a word through Dr. John Markle this morning. Would you come on and just help me welcome and love on him as he comes to the stage and bless us, Dr. John Markle. was the nicest introduction I've ever had. So thank you. Terrence, I love you too. So this is great. This is, it's been a long time since I've been in chapel. I think the last time I spoke in chapel, well, like for a chapel was before we had this building. And pretty soon you're going to see why that is. I'm just kidding. I'll be, I'll be briefish. I'll be briefish. But, uh, you know, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about prayer, and I think that's a, that is a wonderful theme for the semester. And so you can see the title here is Asking God and Acting Go Together. So that's going to be the, ma the main point. If you get nothing else from today, I'm going to say, does asking God and acting go together? I say yes. All right. So... By way of introduction, I want to, I want to share with you just a, just a few just different accounts. So if you take Christian beliefs in history with me at some point, uh, we, we talk about the various traditions, various traditions represented here in this, in this room. And one, one uh, such uh, tradition is the Pentecostal movement. Very important movement, very helpful to evangelical Christianity. Um, and there's just... A variety of different churches springing out of the Pentecostal movement. And the Pentecostal movement was known for giving a little bit more emphasis to uh, speaking in tongues, prophecy, you know, the more miraculous gifts. Now, there was, there was um, a, a good example 
of uh, just in, well, sorry, back up. Missions. Missions is extremely important, right? A lot of your churches give a lot of money to missions organizations, to missionaries. And there were two, there were two uh, people that came from the, the Pentecostal movement, James Hebden and his wife, Ellen. And they were impassioned, rightly so, for letting people know the good news about Jesus Christ. But there was a little bit of a, a, little bit of a hitch in their approach. Let me read from a 1915 letter from James Hebden. He writes this. Everyone sent forth is called of God and baptized with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues as at Pentecost. All go forth dependent on God alone, no board or organization or suggestion of such to lessen faith in God. The spirit of prophecy in the church often directs not only the destination of the missionaries, but the dates and places of sailing. In some accounts, you actually have missionaries getting on boats to places, far off places like, um, like China without, without an English to Chinese dictionary, without any language training, and just assuming that when they arrive, God will miraculously give them the gift to speak Mandarin or Cantonese. They stopped, doing, they stopped sending missionaries that way after a time. Hebden missions did not last long. And pretty much everyone that operated that way ceased doing so. But then there's another extreme. There's the people that don't pray at all. And don't, don't seemingly rely on God for anything. You know, I think there's probably a lot of you in here that you're about to go through your day and you think, well, you're, the idea of praying doesn't even come to you. Right? Uh, I think anytime we embark in some project that maybe we've done before or we know how to do, like, we don't, we don't think about praying, but we should. Lord, help me. Guide me through the day. Who knows what you're going to encounter through that, throughout the day? What sort of wisdom you're going to need from him? So the topic is praying and asking God for asking for God's assistance, opposed to us also working hard at solving the problem. Anyone like alliteration? You know what alliteration is? Yeah. Yeah. Is that Carson? Yeah, it is. yeah baby. <laughs> yes. There was a special relationship between Carson and I too in uh, CU Foundations. So long ago. How was it? Two, year, two years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. That's good. Okay, here's my alliteration, Carson. You, you give me an amen if it's, you like it. Is pious planning a paradox? Yeah, it is. It is. There's a lot of peace. Or simply, simply saying this. Does asking and acting go together? And I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. Hey, who, who's currently in REL 104? Old Testament. Old Testament. Who's doing Old Testament? And you're like, why do I have to take Old Testament? I'm going to tell, you're going to see right now why you have to take Old Testament. All right? I am going to preach from an Old Testament book. Right? We don't do that a lot. We don't do that a lot. 
See, so we're going to talk about Nehemiah today. So if you have your Bible, either a hard copy or an electronic, go to Nehemiah chapter 2. That's where we're going to be uh, planting today. And let me give you a little bit of background, a little bit of background. So Israel and Judah, at one point, they got, they fell as kingdoms, and they got put in exile. Put in exile. And I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw dates out at you. These are not important. But 538 BC, Zerubbabel, that's a name that has just fallen on hard times. Right? Does anyone have a middle name as Zerubbabel? First name? No? Had I had a boy, he was going to be Zerubbabel. He would have. 538 BC, Zerubbabel returns with about 50,000 exiles under the approval of King Cyrus of Persia. 521 BC, we count down when we're going forward with the BCs. You know that? Okay. Carson, did you know that? <laughs> 521 BC, the king shuts down the building of the temple and the wall. 516 BC, they're still facing enemy hostility. Yet the temple is finished under the prodding of Haggai and Zechariah. 458 BC, Ezra arrives with about 1,800 exiles. And 445 BC, Nehemiah, Artaxerxes I's cupbearer, arrives. So if you look in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah found out that Jerusalem, even though it had Jews returning to it, it was just in shambles. It was in disarray. The text said that he prayed and fasted and repented. The first thing you learn about Nehemiah is that he is a man of prayer. He is a man that understands that connecting with God is just is a wonderful gift. It's just something we should do. That relationship. When he found his opening in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, he confides in the king, and the king actually says, Nehemiah, you go there, and you govern your kingdom. And so here, we we here we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 9 through 20, and I'm reading from the ESV, um, so if it sounds weird, it's just because that's the version I'm using. But Nehemiah chapter 2, 9 through 20. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave, gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent, me, sent with me officers of the army and horsemen, but Sinbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by, I went out by night by the valley gate into the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool. But there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. 
And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were, do, who were there to do work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? So he's talking to the entire congregation of Jewish peoples. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sinbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right, no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So the three questions I want to look at, and the first two I'm going to go through very quickly is why does Sinbalat the Horonite have a hornet in his bonnet? Like, what is he so upset about? Why is he upset? Like, isn't this a good thing? Like, he doesn't have, he, he was probably part, part ruler of, of Jerusalem, and now he doesn't, he probably gets the same pay, but now less work. Why is rebuilding the wall so important? But this is really where the rub is. Is Nehemiah's planning, secrecy, and overall shrewdness faithful? Now, here's an interesting thing. When I was, when I was uh, prepping for this, there are so many books on Nehemiah. He is like considered like, like in terms of leadership, like he is, he, is the, he is the example, the biblical example people go to time and time again. The guy's shrewd. He's shrewd. He's smart. He does things well, and he does things right, and he accomplishes much. But again, remember, he is a man of prayer. So first, um, Sinbalat the Horonite, who is he? Well, I already said that he is, he is um, governor of Samaria, Tobiah the Ammonite. Some people think that he was a governor, but he, he's most likely just a junior colleague of, uh, of Sinbalat. And then Geshem the Arab, he is, he is one of the regional kings in the area. And they just don't like the fact that Nehemiah has come. I mean, one of the things that Symbalat is probably upset at is the fact that um, if, if one is corrupt, um, one can get something out of Jerusalem. By overseeing Jerusalem and his own kingdom of Samaria, uh, it is thought that he probably had his, his fingers into the treasury and other things. And he just, when he sees Nehemiah come to take over Jerusalem, he sees Nehemiah as taking away a good thing from him. And it's interesting, um, we actually know about Sanballat from, from extra-biblical resources. He actually named his, he actually considered himself a good Jew. This is very interesting. He considered himself a faithful Jew. He actually even named, we, we know from extra-biblical resources that he actually named his children. He gave them Jewish names. But, um, so Mosaic law forbids those who are non-Jewish to join the kingdom unless, or they, they, they cannot be considered Jews unless they are faithful. Rahab, for instance. 
We know, remember Rahab? She helps the spies, and she actually, did I do that? I probably did. It was my fault. I'm sorry. Um, and, but Rahab was, is, is, became a good Jew. She was faithful, right? Faithful. But it's the, the conjecture is that Sinbalat was, he was rather liberal. He didn't really take scripture that seriously. And it, whatever the case, he is not following Yahweh in a legitimate way, according to Nehemiah's response to him in verse 20. Nehemiah says this, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you, he's talking to Sinbalat, have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. He has no religious right or legal right in Judah. So there's something off about Sinbalat, and Nehemiah knew it. Um, Geshem, Geshem probably didn't like uh, Nehemiah coming in because Nehemiah is really tight with the king of Persia. And this is like, it seems like you have a narc then in the neighborhood. But whatever the case, it's not, it's not like Sinbalat and uh, Geshem, they all, had the same, they, they all had the same problem with Nehemiah, but my, my enemy of my enemy is my friend. So Nehemiah is facing quite a bit of disruption here. So, and I think we should, we should expect opposition too when we're following God's will. And that's, that's the next part. So why do they want to build a wall? Well, one, having a fortified city was a bit of, that, that was a, a stature thing back in the ancient Near East. It was stature, and the fact that they had tumbled down, broken down walls was a negative. This is part of the reason they had derision. But once they put the walls up, this would show that they are becoming, again, their own kingdom. They are, be they are becoming their own people again. They're going to follow Yahweh again. And this is where it comes into, hey, if we build the wall, we build the temple, uh, we rebuild Jerusalem, we can, we can better follow this covenant we have with Yahweh. And in fact, when you look in Nehemiah, they actually use the wall in a positive way. Uh, they used to have people, people from outside coming in and selling, selling their goods and wares during, during Sabbath, when they, you're supposed to keep the Sabbath holy and not work. And here they are doing commerce. Once the wall goes up, one of the things they do is, comes, you know, come uh, Sabbath, those walls are closed, and they don't open them up. But we should expect opposition when carrying out God's revealed will. Like when we hear, when we understand what we're supposed to do and you start to follow it, it's not all just, you know, roses, candy, and kittens, right? Things are hard. One, it's hard because one, you're going to face, you're going to run into people that are jealous, maybe, maybe even believers, but one, Satan doesn't want you. To progress. But also, here's an interesting thing. We're actually going through James in my church. Um, it's very clear that God puts trials in our, in our way, too. He allows this. This is how we grow. You all know this, right? When do you grow? Unfortunately, a lot of times our growth comes from hard times. When you rely on him. But, 
expect opposition when carrying out God's revealed will. There are, just as Nehemiah had forces against him, you will have forces against you too. But guess who's got your back? One, on the vertical level, the Lord, and then on the horizontal level, hopefully brothers and sisters in Christ. So, let's get to the final question, though, and this is the rub. Is Nehemiah's planning, secrecy, and overall shrewdness faithful? Now, you would have to, if you just sort of glance around chapter 2, 9 through 20, you'll see, you can sort of see and follow along with what I'm going to say. But how was Nehemiah shrewd? And again, there was books written on this man's shrewdness, his integrity, and what a good leader he was. Uh, he knew that he must act quick and come up with a plan while the buzz of his arrival is still in the air. He did not come to paralysis by analysis, and he did his homework. So he goes by night with only trusted people. He goes on some sort of animal, and you know, some, some, some scholars conjecture it wasn't a horse because horses make noise at night, and that's why it doesn't say horse in the text. Like he goes on some sort of donkey or something like that. Um, he knew, he suspected that there were corrupt people from within, so he doesn't, he doesn't share his plan with everyone. When he finally assesses his work, he goes to the entire congregation and talks to them himself. Right? You hear the words coming out of my mouth. It's no secondhand or thirdhand information. Everyone hears him. There's, no, there's, there's less opportunity for naysayers to spin it, right? I mean, it's genius. I mean, when, when you start thinking of how shrewd Nehemiah was, I mean, just, he's a wonderful leader. And the list goes on. So, in Nehemiah chapter 1, which we didn't read, this man is a man of prayer, fasting, and he is attentive to repentance, Then, in Nehemiah chapter 2, he's shrewd. He plans. He really thinks about what he's going to do. And it's weird because these these seem to be opposite ends of the spectrum. Right? You know what I'm talking about? But Nehemiah is a man that holds on to these tensions both. He knows God acts. But he also knows God wants us to act. So is pious planning an oxymoron? You guys know what an oxymoron is? Like jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp is an oxymoron. Right? So we know that God often, hopefully you realize that God often uses us. Sometimes to answer prayers, right? Sometimes you pray, and you're praying for something, but then he actually answers it better than you could have ever imagined. I mean, it's crazy. And he realizes this. He realizes that God is the author of the story, and he does not, uh, he does not presume upon God that, oh God, you should act supernaturally now. You should break into the system now. He just knows that God is working at least behind the scenes. And in fact, they go to build a wall. And they work hard on the wall. 
They work so hard. And I mean, even, even at one point, they have, they have weapons in one hand and they're like trying to like put mortar. I don't know how they made walls back then, but like, because they, they're, they're getting a lot of, they're getting a lot of threats from outside. But I think one of the things that we need to do, like Nehemiah, is we need to be prepared to pray, think, act, repeat, and endure. He didn't roll over easily. I mean, he has a lot of pressure coming from the outside. And I think this has tons of application. I think this has tons of application for us. Um, let me, let me, sophomores. Who are the sophomores in the house? Okay, okay. Let me talk to you. The freshmen. The freshmen, you're excited, you're here. It's like, what, we're like a month in. Everything's new to you. Everyone's treating you well, hopefully, and you're being welcomed in. Junior, seniors, like juniors, you're already doing your internships. You got an eye. Seniors, you're like, you know, it's, it's, it's feeling about time. You know, it's maybe time to exit. You don't want to, but you know life's coming. Life is, there's a lot of change. There's something called the sophomore slump. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Are, are some of you experiencing that? Like, you are special, but you don't feel special anymore. And you have, like, three, three years coming. Like, you have three years. Like, oh, like, uh, like, uh, I'm taking my general studies courses still. And, uh, but I'm telling you, this is what happened. Nehemiah, they build the wall. They work so hard. And you know what the outsider said? God did that. God did that. You're like, well, they were building. No, but God worked in, the, he worked in the ways that, mysterious ways that God worked. And he made something wonderful. Sophomores, you continue to pray and continue to work hard. Well, all of you, but sophomores in particular. <laughs> I just, you, you need the sophomore slump. Get out of that. But also think about this in life. There, is, there was this one time that I had an opportunity. This, this, this one's a rough story. I, had talk, I, I got to run a conciliation team at, 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 uh, at a church, and this, this couple had just been basically jabbing each other and poking each other and just being, like, not nice to each other for, like, 20 years. And we realized that they needed some counseling. This was beyond our abilities. You know, we were sending the counselor, and then, you know, I, I, said, I said to them in closing, you know, we had five different meetings, and I said, you know what? I think in five years, you guys could have a wonderful testimony to the church. And one of them looked up at me and said, we don't have five years. You know what your problem is? You guys are not willing to pray. You don't believe the Holy Spirit? No, 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 no. I believe the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. But a lot of times when we drive 20 miles in the wrong direction, which I still do even with GPS because I'm listening to something and I don't, I'm not paying attention. My first response is not to pull over and say, Dear Lord, please return me to the spot where I, where I deviated. Please um, give me the gas, the wear and tear on the car, and also my 25 minutes back. 
That's not our first reaction. But we, we used to think, we think that God, does, like, please just, no, like, we have to walk back. We have to make that journey back. But that journey back, though, is often sweet. And he does put, he does, he does help us along. He gives us tailwinds, etc. So think, just remember, if you learn anything from today, asking and acting go together. And that's it. Let me print, let me, um, I, took, I took over time. I took over time. So let me, let me put a pronounce of benediction over you. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>